folks are looking in lots of different directions in the day we're living in. Of course, it's been man's nature to look in all kinds of directions. Most generally, man always looks in the wrong direction, doesn't he? Most of us should be able to say amen to that because that's what we did most of our life before the Lord got a hold of us. And the sad part about it is we still look in the wrong direction sometimes after we get saved, don't we? Let's turn tonight, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 11. We'll go back again tonight and uh, consult the master builder. Uh, this scripture that we've looked at for a couple of services, uh, it's basically dealing with um, the works of ministers, but we don't want to just focus on preachers alone. How many believes the works are important for all of us, every child of God? 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. So that's not just me now, or every preacher that's in here, but every one of you individuals the day will declare your works. Whether they've been good or whether they've been selfish or whatever they are, the day. Now that's all of us, young, middle-aged, teenagers, 20, whatever you are. Now what's going to try the fire? Because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work as what sort that it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Now this separates works from your salvation. I'm sure glad God does it that way too. So you can imagine now there'll be all kinds of people that will come up lived down through time like Lot, uh, foolish virgin type, there's been in every age. And they themselves, their work will not stand. A lot of these good people that we know, their work will be destroyed. Absolutely annihilated and destroyed. They'll have nothing, nothing to be rewarded for. But saved as by fire. But what a wasted life. What a wasted life. To have lived 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years and think you've done this and this and this and this for God, but because it was off the wrong foundation. And then when you stand before Him, and when you stand there, there's nothing with you. All your praying, all your preaching of you as a preacher, all that you've done, and you stand there with absolutely nothing. You're standing there by yourself, so you look around and say, what in the world? So each of us want to be careful, do we not? How many has a need to that? Let's just hold that in our hearts as we go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we count it such an awesome opportunity to be gathered together tonight. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that you mean to us. Lord Jesus, as we endeavor to look into your word tonight, I pray that you'd help all of us. 
Begin with me, Father. Help me, Lord God, because I know that the sword cuts two ways, both coming and going. So I pray that you'd begin with me and work on me and work on these people, not only the visible but the invisible audience. May we look at things somewhat different after tonight, Lord. Help us to realize that if we live to ourself, we live a selfish life then, Father, we're not reflecting your life because eternal life is living for others. And it's not living for those who love us. It's actually living for those who hate us. That's what you did. So help us, Father, as we look into your word that we can see we need to move higher. We need to pray more. We need to seek you more. We need to get ourselves and our feelings and what we think about us so much, our selfishness, out of the way so the Spirit of God can live through us. Grant it tonight, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, most of you have been saved long enough to know that we are not saved by works. And the church said, Amen. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by anything that we do. But works are important. Are works required for every individual that has eternal life? Well, yes and no. Because eternal life will live itself out of us and express itself in the right types of works. Once we understand that we become the channel by which eternal life can live out of. In that works can be helping the poor. It can be helping people at church. It can be helping your neighbor, as we would say. That was a reference used quite a bit in the Bible about your neighbor. And Jesus used that in the parable several times, of course. And yet, it can go beyond those that live in your neighborhood. It can go beyond those that live in your cul-de-sac. It can go for us, say, helping our brothers and sisters in Uganda, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, India, Philippines, which we have by God's grace over the years. But yet it's not even just those who agree with us because Jesus said the publican and the sinner can do that. They love those that love them. But eternal life goes beyond human life. So eternal life enables us to love those that would absolutely kill us if they had a chance. Now how many have eternal life? <laughs> wow. So eternal life is living for the man that would pull his 9mm out of his pocket, pull back the hammer, put it right up to the side of your head, and blow your brains all over the pew. But yet you would do something for him before he did that to you. Well, I guess I might as well make an altar call first, shouldn't I? <laughs> Now, think about it. Eternal life is so easy to say. It's so easy. When I went up to the altar and I got eternal life, I accepted the Lord and I got eternal life. I believe I have eternal life. But eternal life has attributes. And eternal life will express itself by works. Now, one of those works is fasting. Now, I've been asked in the last um, uh, probably at least two months or so, several times, by people wanting to know about fasting. 
And one of the reasons that I've been asked about it is several people has asked me about going on a fast for Erica for her healing. And others have asked about fasting. When should we fast? How should we fast? And I thought since we were dealing with this about works that we would look at this part tonight. So instead of answering one person's question, then another, and then another, and then another, I'll answer them all from right here, hopefully. Sometimes I make more than I answer, which goes with that too. But fasting, of course, is not a new thing in the New Testament. It was something that the Jews did in the Old Testament. It was something all through the law that they did. But it does somewhat change in the New Testament. And you remember the publicans and the Pharisees, they fasted often. And they asked the Lord Jesus, why is it that your disciples do not fast? Well, he said, while the bridegroom is with them, there's no need for them to fast. But do we fast for healing? Do we fast for faith? Now, listen carefully. You're doing good. Don't answer me so you won't get trapped. (laughs) Do we fast for to please God? Do we fast to get God's attention? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a man, a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now listen carefully. Remember, Jesus had sent them out seven chapters prior to this in Matthew 10. And he gave them power to cast out devils, heal the sick, do many great things. And they come back rejoicing. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning cast down out of heaven. So these apostles were sent forth under a power And it was that power that we looked at Sunday, which is called excusia. Now, it's nothing that they had within themselves by virtue of their own life. But it was a jurisdiction and an authority that was given to them. So they were sent out like a state trooper, like a magistrate, like a judge, somebody like that. You go there, you do this, you do that. That's how they operated and cast out devils. But now they run across one that this excusia authority did not cover. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but I'll make it as simple as I can. But demons are in different degrees. Now, I don't understand myself why that somebody with epilepsy, that that one is so hard. But that devil is a hard devil to get rid of. As a matter of fact, the prophet said, it was the only one that ever got away from him. So that tells you. Now this is why, of course, that he would tell the people to keep their children there if they didn't believe, leave. Because that spirit was going to leave and it was going to look not for a hog, not for a bird, not for a horse. It's going to look for a human being to get into so the Lord Jesus, watch now, he's going to address this. And the disciples, no doubt, they were shocked because they had just went out and they'd cast out all kinds of devils. They had cleansed the leper. They had healed all kinds of affliction. Well, this man brings his boy and he was a lunatic. 
So he was of a, a further degree into this sickness and this possession than apparently anything they had run across when they were sent out prior to this. Now notice what the man says, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Now watch the apostles. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Now they're, they're perplexed. But Mike, they just did not understand. Why couldn't we do this? You sent us out in Matthew 10 to do this and we tried it. We done exactly what we done on all the others and it worked for them, but it didn't work through him for this guy. What was the problem? Now listen, two aspects. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Wow. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as of a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing. I know we quote it all the time, that nothing is impossible with God. But God said, nothing is impossible to you. Now, can anybody say amen to that scripture? Now notice this is our God himself saying this. If you'll say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. But now watch, so Jesus deals with first part of verse 20, an aspect, the reason they could not do this and he classified it as unbelief. Then Jesus comes down in verse 21, how be it this kind, this kind. Now this was a different kind than what they had run into in Matthew 10. Now the kind they had run into in Matthew 10 did not require, require prayer and fasting the way this one did. How could they do it under excusia authority? Now remember, the, the, there's two Greek words used for power. One of them is excusia, which is an authority. The other is dunamis, which is a power that's in you by nature. So it's something living in you. The apostles didn't have that because they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. But what they had was a jurisdiction. Now watch Jesus shows them, howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting by whom? Now Jesus did not say, well, the, the person that's sick. This is not actually for the sick person. It's actually for the person who's going to cast out the devil. Oh, you didn't know that. Well, you've learned something new tonight. Now watch, Jesus is not dealing with the lunatic boy. He's not dealing with the boy's father. He's answering the apostles. And they ask him the question, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus in verse 20 and verse 21, is saying, well, the first phase of this was your unbelief. 
And then secondly, it's tied that you must pray and you must fast to get yourself out of the way. Now apparently, because this power was not of an inward virtue and nature, they were not connected from their soul to this excuse you because it could come and leave. That's the way the prophets of the Old Testament worked under the anointing. So it would come and they'd prophesy, see visions, and then it would leave them, might leave them for weeks, might leave them for months, and then it would come back on them again. But God didn't want that to be so in the New Testament age. He wanted the Holy Ghost to be ever present, every day of your life, from the time you get it to the day you die, it's yours. But notice now, the Lord Jesus then separates a certain degree of demonic warfare. And he says that this particular kind can only come forth by prayer and fasting. Now again, I say, It is not so much the person that is sick. And it is not so much other people that are fasting for the person that is sick. Now, there's one thing that will tell you if you should fast or not. I'm going to keep you wondering for a few minutes before I tell you what it is. Now, watch this. Brother Ram says, many times in these meetings, I don't eat much. Sometimes fast for several days. I've been fasting then three or four days and I do that because the Bible said these come out only by fast and prayer. So I want you to notice now how the prophet applies this scripture of the Lord Jesus. So it was not to the sick necessarily, It was not even to other members of the body unless God would burden them to do so. But the scripture was actually to be applied to the ministers that's going to endeavor to cast out these evil spirits. Watch him again. I usually like to fast about three days before the healing service. So I told him I'd speak, speaking to a, about a pastor there, and if anyone there would pray for them, just like a regular prayer line. Now, what I found over and over again, when the prophet would use the word fast, fasting, fasted, all the forms of it, that it would be making reference to either himself or other ministers that would fast to be able to get themselves out of the way. Now there were a few references as well to where that some people had fasted and they were fasting for Brother Branham going out in the meetings and he actually called their name and said, this brother sitting right here and this sister right over here, they have been fasting for several days for these services and he said, that's why you see God moving the way he has. But it's not that we fast in order to find favor with God. Now, me, my prior, uh, before coming to the message, my prior understanding of being a Pentecostal, and I was very legalistic. So I fasted often, three days, five days, seven days, 10 days, 14 days, not a week went by in my life that I did not fast. Some of those would be on a seven-day fast. We would be driving. I'd be driving a tent truck, setting up a tent, 90 in the shade, absolutely every week 
of your life. Sometimes going, being Louisiana one night, close out, being Indiana the next night, 21 days in a row. And yet not eat one bite of food. And I got to the spot if I did not do that. I felt like God would not use me. So I got under this legalistic view. Now God does not want us to do works, even good works, because of legalism. You understand that? He wants us to do it because we love him and we love his people. Now, notice again, the prophet said, usually before I start in the prayer line, I take three days of fasting and praying. But notice, he doesn't send a message, to, say, to Minneapolis, St. Paul, or, or Duluth, Minnesota, or wherever he would go, and say, have the sick people to fast three days. Or have the local people to fast three days. But it was something that he did himself. Why? to get himself out of the way. Now, even though, no doubt, a lot of my fasting was in vain. <laughs> I'm totally convinced of that. In vain. Just legalism, that's all. But in my mind, it made me feel better. Yeah, because I had done something and I felt like God would honor my face. That is one pitiful situation. Because God does not move for us because we are so righteous and so good. Now sure, we gotta live right. There's things we have to do. But notice when you come into this aspect of the ministry. Now, for those of you that have never fasted very long, how many ever fasted three days? Five, seven, 10, 14? Gets fewer and fewer and fewer. And the thing of it is, most of you will never need to. So don't feel bad. Don't leave here tonight thinking, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I've never done nothing for God. Well, first of all, there's nothing in the Bible that even requires you to do that 14 days. As a matter of fact, the prophet deals with an enticing spirits. It was a big thing in Pentecost. Everybody wanting to fast 40 days. And the prophet dealt with it and said, for some people, it was demons getting on them to fast for 40 days not the Holy Ghost. Now, let me just go ahead and blow you away right now. If God ever leads you to fast, you will not get hungry. Yeah, y'all like me, you realize you've wasted a lot of good food, ain't you? You will not get hungry until it's time for you to end that fast. That's what I said. I'm convinced I've totally ruined most of mine because I was hungry from day one. Because whenever I know that I'm on a fast and I miss my 10 o'clock snack, my little gut's eating my big gut and then my big gut eats my little one. And by lunchtime and by, by supper time, you think, Lord, I'll never make it. I might as well have went ahead and eat because it's a good sign God never put me on the fast. There's a supernatural element that comes with God leading you to fast. And one of those supernatural elements is you will not be hungry. Amen. Well, go ahead and look at me funny and I'll prove it to you in a minute. Now, watch this. Again, the prophet said, this has been a fast day. Fasting and praying that God would grant his, his blessings upon you people tonight. Now, I don't expect you to understand this, but I found it myself that whenever somehow you get weaker 
and you get less of yourself and you get more out of the way, the more that he can move through you. And yet, it, it's only like you've got a small margin of error to where you get out of the way and then you're so weak that you can't even be used. Does that make sense to you? It's like you've got to get out of the way and the more you deny yourself and the more, you know, the more God lets you go through something and say, Lord, have mercy, I, I, I can't take another day. I can't, I can't get through another day with all this pressure and yet I've seen it myself that when you get to that spot, God will do some of the greatest things he's ever done in your life when you're right there. But yet if you go just a little bit too far the other way, you'll have a breakdown. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Look at Elijah when he had come to that very spot and it's like he was there in that, that margin, but he went just a little bit farther over the other way and had a nervous breakdown under, of course, the juniper tree where God found him. So there's something about fasting and you giving of yourself and the anointing coming on you and you're, you're dealing with demons, of course, and you're dealing with God's people at the same time and you gotta be so careful when you're there in that realm. And yet you'll get so far out of yourself. It's always been with me even when I was a Pentecostal preacher. It will start in my fingers, the tips of my fingers. My fingers, I'll start losing feeling. It'll start working its way up. You'll notice me sometimes when I'm praying for people and I'll, I'll do this because I'm starting to lose feeling in my hands. At the same time as it reaches up about here, I start losing it in my lips. It'll work out of my lips and come up around my mouth and I get to where I can't hardly talk. I can't hardly say anything. Whenever I'm preaching, it's been since I was a boy preacher, I'll start seeing spots before me. I'll see it to the right, I'll see it to the left. It'll be dark spots like this in my peripheral vision. And then it'll start coming closer and closer. When it moves here, I better stop or I'm fixing to get in trouble. Now God gives you those things as just a warning. Remember the men that was with Brother Branham, they would watch him in the visions. And Billy Paul or whoever, the manager of the campaign, they would come up and they would put their hands on Brother Branham's side like this. And if Brother Branham would take his arms and put down on their hands, it was a sign to them. So it would let them know he's all right or he's not all right. And if he, one sign was, he wasn't all right. Take him off, take him off. So they would take him off the platform. If the other one was there, then he would be able to let them know he's all right for a little while longer. Now, what is he? He's in that margin, that fine margin to where the most will be done when you're right there. But you're almost to the spot yourself that you're about to lose consciousness. You're about to lose from the realm that's all around you. And you're getting, I hope I ain't, I hope I ain't you know, maybe not, you don't think I'm a nut tonight. But it's where you're just in that spot. Now this is of course what fasting does. And it helps to be able to get yourself 
out of the way to where you're getting weaker and weaker. It's like the weaker you get, the stronger the anointing will get. And you've seen the long prayer lines down the youth camp and places like that. And whenever you get so weak and the brothers will watch in, they can see your knees buckling and this and that and they'll grab you. But you know yourself, you hate to sit down worse than anything because the anointing is at its peak and you want to be right there in the middle of it. You want to stay right there as long as you can. And yet the Spirit of God is always there to help us. But it's like the more he can get us out of the way, the more he can use us. So here, the Lord Jesus is speaking something to the, to the disciples, pre-Holy Ghost, of course. And no doubt they pondered about it. How in the world could that be? But after the Holy Ghost come, you imagine Brother Joel, he brought this back to their memory. Now I know what he meant. Now I understand. Now I've got dunamis inside of me, which will help me to get out of the way and I will fast or I will pray. I will be in that presence of God and it will help me. Now watch again the prophet said usually in a fast I never feel hungry. If you feel hungry it's time to eat. Jesus afterwards was hungry. Now he's basing this on the scripture where the Jesus fasted 40 days and nights and then the Bible says and afterward he was a hunger. It doesn't say he was hungry on day two, day three, day 38. But the hunger returned to him so it was a sign that he was to eat. But you see tradition, what tradition does? Tradition is so far away so many times from the word Notice again in enticing spirit says nothing in the word that tells you to have a 40-day fast, not a thing. There's nothing in the world telling you to fast lest God would tell you. And if you fast, you ain't gonna get hungry and go all these things. After your fasting, brother, you will be joy and happy all the time. And that's why I'm telling you, a lot of my fasting was an absolute waste because I become one hungry grouch. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I didn't feel good. I was wore out. You're putting up a tent, whatever more. You can't already go. You drag yourself in. You're aching and hurting all over and you're as weak as I don't know what. You ain't got enough strength hard to do anything. Uh, I didn't have no happiness. I wasn't joyful. Well, that's what I say. If it's a real fast from God, it's gonna go by the direction God says. But yet this is a work which could be done that's not laying in harmony with the scripture many times. So people, because of old Pentecostal ideas or whatever more, just their own conception of it, well, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna fast for so-and-so to be healed and I'm gonna fast for faith and I'm gonna fast for that. Fasting is to get ourselves out of the way. Now notice, after your fasting, brother, you'll be joy and happy all the time. It said, don't appear before men like hypocrites with a long, sad face. I'm on a 40-day fast. My plates won't fit me anymore. Now he's talking about dentures. My plates won't fit me no more. I've lost 30 pounds, and they told me I look better after this is over. Oh, nonsense. It's enticing spirits of the devil. Amen. And the church said, now, so you, now, I know it's maybe hard for you to believe, but why in the world would anybody want to go on a 40-day fast and it be of the devil? Well, some of them, it's amazing what pride they get. 
It's amazing how they have to tell everybody they just come off of a 40-day fast. And there was such, uh, listen, I've heard it over and over again. I know this is not something that I've read about. I've heard it over and over again. And yet you realize, and you know, even back then, there's something wrong about the whole thing, but you didn't know what it was. Thank God for the truth. Notice again, it says Christianity is not something, God's not one you have to beg and cry and plead and fast and starve. So when we fast, we are not doing it to, to plead with God and beg God. Look, friends, we are not beggars. We are sons and daughters. And how are we supposed to come to the throne of God? With boldness, not as a beggar. My goodness, we don't come like we're, we live in the, you know, the south side of heaven and we ain't got no blessings. And Oh, Lord, just give me a crumb from the table and I, I don't need nothing else. God's prophet said, if you're a child of God, everything he purchased is yours. You've got to bring them quotes and them scriptures together. You live under that mentality. Well, I'm just an old dog. Well, you might have been an old dog, but if you got the Holy Ghost, you ain't a dog no more. You're a child of God. Filled with eternal life and the Holy Ghost. So we don't have to come to God. It's so easy for us if we're not careful. In the time of distress and trouble, we get back into the begging notion. The begging and the pleading notion as if though that somehow we lose our status as children of God. We don't have to do that. Notice God's not one you have to beg and cry and plead and fast and starve and everything like that to get to? Certainly not. I'm not degrading a fast. On down in the quote it says, I believe in fasting, certainly. But when you fast, you don't hunger. Jesus, after he got through fasting, the Bible said he was hungry. God puts a fast on you you don't put it on yourself. God puts a fast on you. You don't put it on yourself. And the church said, Amen. So then if people could get in this and they, oh, I'm doing this for God, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But if it doesn't line up to the teaching of the message, it's works and sacrifices that they have done but there won't be no reward for it. Why? It's not based on the scripture or the message. Look, friends, if we're going to be rewarded for what we do, it must match God's protocol or God's requirement or we don't get rewarded for it. My goodness. Why would we want to waste our time? I don't want to waste mine, do you? My goodness, why waste some good beans and maters and taters? If God don't put it on me, why should I feel bad? I'm going to enjoy my wife's good cooking. If God puts a fast on me, then I trust God will lead me to do it, and he'll let me know whenever it's time for me to quit. But I am not going to fast. Well, I don't want to fast because I need to be closer to God. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the message? Well, amen, Brother Don. Notice down Beaumont, he said, so I've been fasting for about two, three days and I was going to go preach that afternoon. I thought, well, it seems like, he said, you never want to fast until you're led to fast. Then if you get hungry, it's time to eat. Again, he says, when God puts a fast on you, you don't get hungry. So if you start fasting, it's quarter to seven and by nine, your big gut's eating your little gut. Well, you just know right there, you done miss God. 
Brother Donnie, how in the world do you figure I won't get hungry? Well, because this is the teaching of the message, just like serpent seed, water baptism, and it's also the scripture. That's how I figure. Because if God puts it on us to fast, there is a supernatural element in the fast. It won't let you get hungry. Thank you, Jesus. I see everybody's going out after supper and eat a Big Mac, huh? Or after church, rather. So he said, when God puts a fast on you, you don't get hungry. It's God dealing with you. Jesus was afterwards in hunger. See, after his fast was over. Now, notice again in fundamental foundation of faith. As I've said, faith doesn't come by fasting. Faith doesn't come, but when I'm fasting for more faith. You're wrong. You don't fast for more faith. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I guess I should have preached this 20 years ago instead of tonight. Faith doesn't come by praying, reading a book. All of that's good. Fasting, praying, reading, reading a book. But faith comes by a settled something that's in the human heart that tells you just as sure as you come to this church tonight. So if God lays on your heart to fast, fast, my brother, fast, my sister. And if you go to the end of the day and all of a sudden you get hungry, that's the time to break your fast. If you go all day long and you don't feel hungry, you get up the next day, you don't feel hungry, how will I know, Brother Donnie? Your God will let you know. The supernatural will move off of your belly and the belly will go to talking to you. It's that simple. It's not complicated. If it's a day, a half a day, do you understand? I don't know if you've ever studied this or not. Brother Brandon, actually there'd be days that it would go totally without food. Three to four days before prayer lines. There would also be days that he would eat what he called soft foods, not pleasant foods. Pleasant foods. Now he did not give us a list, so I don't know what they were. But apparently it was something that he deprived himself of. Something that was pleasant. Something else he would eat for energy, strength, and so on. But it was something. What's the whole thing about? It's to deny ourselves. You see, God knows that as long as we're here in these bodies, we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle against our old flesh. And it'll be our constant enemy. Now, how many believes tonight by God's word that works are absolutely something that every child of God will have in their life? Every child of God. Now, whether you're a teenager tonight or you've been saved for 40 or 50 years, it doesn't really matter. Every child of God, when we stand before the Lord, you young people here, it will not be you and your mom and your dad. And God will stand and look at you all as a family unit and say, okay, I I see that you are Joel's son, so you all stand together. Your mom, Tamika, your two brothers, y'all stand there together. No, it won't be that you'll stand together so much as a family. But we will walk before this great throne of our Lord Jesus, not the white judgment, now Revelation 21, but where rewards are given out. Every young person, that if the rapture takes place and they're 15, 16, 17 years old, they will stand before the Lord and they will give an account for what they have done, the works that they have done for the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was at Joppa 
a certain disciple named Tabitha. Wow. A woman called a disciple. A certain disciple. Now read your Bible and you notice most of the time it was in reference to men. But this woman, she must have been a very outstanding sister. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple called named Tabitha, which is by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full, full, I love this word, filled up as opposed to empty. This woman was full, thoroughly permeated, thoroughly permeated with complete like nothing. So this woman was full of good works and alms deeds. Look at this word, mercy, pity, especially as exhibited in giving alms, charity, or donations to the poor. So this woman had all kinds of good works, and yet we know that she was not a woman preacher. We know that as far as the Bible, it does not record that she prophesied, spoke in tongues, had visions, dreams, anything like that. But the Bible's gonna tell us what she did. Now listen carefully. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. For as much as Lydda was nigh unto Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went to them. When he was come, they brought unto him into the upper chamber. Now notice he's right here. They took the sister straight up there and they laid her down. All the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now notice what a lot of her works consisted of. No casting out devils, no healing the sick, no raising the dead, but this sister had the ability to sow. So here was these people and they were either, either wearing them or had, had them in their hands and they were showing Peter, look, look what that sister did for me. I want you to look at this shawl. Look at this sweater. Uh, uh, look at this dress. Look at this, you know, cloak, whatever it was. I want you to look. And there was just all kinds of them that was around. And no doubt some of the other people that did not have sown goods by which Tabitha had made them, they would say, well, she gave me an alms deed. Now, an alms deed was not a tangible piece of material, but it was something that she did for them, a little pity, a little mercy. Maybe she walked by them one day and they were begging on the street, or she saw them as they went to get some fruits and vegetables at the market that day, and she saw that when they come up to pay for it and they counted their little money and they didn't have enough to pay for it. So she sneaked up there and said, how much does she like? Well, she likes uh, three shekels. Okay, well, legit, let, me, let me take care of that. And you know that they was and they said that she done this for me and she done that for me. Now keep in mind what is fixing to happen in her life is not based upon her works, but neither did it go against her. She's fixing to be raised from the dead. Now, I've often wondered about reading of this woman. If she would have been a Christian that never really did anything 
for anybody else. But she lived what I call a Lone Ranger Christian life. Now we got a lot of them around the message. They feel like they don't have to go to church. They can stay home and be just as good a Christian as they can at church. If you believe God's prophet, he told you you cannot do such a thing. And besides that, you are robbing yourself and robbing the saints of God by staying home. There are no such a thing in the New Testament as a lone ranger Christian. Well, praise the Lord. That ain't even you and Tonto either. It's a body, and we're supposed to help one another and minister to one another. Now, the Lone Ranger type Christians, if they're died like this, nobody stands there and brings any coats. Nobody brings any alms deeds. Why? They stayed at home. They never helped nobody. They never done nothing for nobody. They stayed at home and they stayed away from church. They stayed away from fellowship. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If I ever do die, and I hope I do get to be raised from the dead, I want so many folks flocking in this church. They stand plumb outside there. Said he done this for me and he done that for me and he done that for me. Well, come on, don't sit there and look at me that way. I don't want it done just for reward's sake. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to live my life every day for others. Now, I want you to think, if you and I would start keeping a record of how much time daily that we spend for ourselves, how much of our thoughts are for ourselves, how much of what we do is for ourselves. I wonder if we would do that for a couple of weeks, if we would be absolutely surprised at how much of our time, how much of our things of life that we have that we would wind up seeing was entirely for us. And yet, the Lord keeps no record of any of that. Now, according to the Bible, there is a book of remembrance that God is having written on your account. But none of that involves things you do for yourself. I bought myself this, and I've done this for myself, and I've done that for myself, and I bragged on myself too. And I looked in the mirror for 45 minutes. I tell you what, I've seen some men that's just as bad of primpers as women are. What are you doing, worshiping? You worshiping that bald head of yours? Are you worshiping the 14 strands of hair that you got left? You think you're so handsome and so cute that you can stand there before a mirror? Oh, brother, let me just tell you, you need to look in my mirror. It tells the truth. Some of y'all must have a lying mirror. Where'd you get that thing? Send it back to Amazon. Get you one of them truth-telling mirrors. It'll show every wrinkle, every gray hair. Amen. So this sister, nothing is mentioned about herself. But it's mentioned about others. Now remember, Luke was the author of the book of Acts. Luke wasn't even around when Jesus was here. Matthew, Mark, and John were, but Luke was not even there. But Luke came years later and went around from community to community, city to city, and interviewing witnesses, live witnesses, so he would be able to write down uh, the gospel of the book of Luke and also the 
book of Acts. So no doubt Luke went to the city of Joppa and he must have went to Lydda and he went there asking because this was the mannerism of Luke. So he went to ask him, anybody here know of Sister Tabitha? Anybody know about that account? I've heard about it, but Matthew didn't write about it. Uh, some of the others, I, I, I want to write this. I, I want to write about this. Uh, Paul never mentioned it. No, none of the rest of the others written. it. I, I want to know about this. So Luke went around and getting eyewitnesses. Well, was you there? Yes, I was. I was one of them sisters. Our glory to God. I'll never forget that that day. I'll tell you one thing. We're standing there weeping and all of a sudden she jumped up, running around there, clapping her hands and worshiping God. You know, imagine Luke said, yes, sister, tell me how it was. I'll tell you what, oh, sister so-and-so down the street there, she was there too. And that guy down there selling pumpkins on the side of the road, he was down there too. And you imagine Luke going from one to the other to the other in order to write this down. Aren't you glad they done that? Aren't you glad these were men of vision? Where would we be today if these men had not wanted to write down these very acts of the Holy Ghost? So here they begin to cry, no doubt, and they lament. And whenever they do, they send and get Peter. And then all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coat and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body. I want you to notice. He turned to the body, but he calls her name. He didn't call her body by this name. Notice how Luke separates the body from the person. Turning him to the body and said, Tabitha. So he turns to the body, the house where she lived, but he called her name. She was out there in another dimension somewhere. Her spirit had to be brought back into the body. So the human name was still identified with that soul in those realms somewhere where they went to. So he turns to the body, the empty house, and he calls her, wonder why he didn't call her Dorcas. But he calls her apparently by her preferred spiritual name. Now he calls her name and watch what happens. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, Arise, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. So here is a response. But I find it so amazing now that these works and the identification of works and alms deeds are identified with this woman and being the type of woman that she was. Oh, don't you want to be this type of woman? Now, who would ever think that making somebody a coat or a cloak or giving them a garment or, or showing them a little bit of pity or a little bit of mercy and you bought them a meal or you know just just something like that that was so simple who would ever think that would make the pages of the New Testament well if it made the pages of the New Testament here in this that we've just read and we are another book of Acts don't you figure there'll be people in this second book of Acts that it'll be wrote in their life as well Amen. Notice Acts chapter 10 verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth. Now this is after the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness. 
worketh righteousness. So we cannot make righteousness, but we work it. So when we become righteous, which is right standing with God, we work in the form of righteousness. And we live that out. That every nation he that fears God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Romans 2, 9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and of also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. Now notice what you will get in this life if you do good works. Oh my, glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile. And what will you get if you don't? Tribulation and anguish. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace. I love this word. It is absolutely astounding. To make all grace. So God's grace is like an ocean at full time. So what's how Paul ties this together. So God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now the word abound is like a, a plant or that'll put out a flower and it's right at the budding stage. And then the abounding of that means it opens a little farther and a little farther and a little farther. And it keeps on opening and opening until it reaches its pristine fullness. And that's when the bloom is fully open. So your power is saying that the grace of God will abound to you, towards you. That you always having all sufficiency. You see, all grace leads to all the other alls you'll ever need in life. Oh my, so if you have all grace, I don't want just grace to just get saved by. I want this right here. All grace. Make all grace abound towards you that you always have all sufficiency in all things. So if you have all grace, you will have all sufficiency in all things. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how low it is. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. Somebody say amen. Amen. You always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Oh, praise God. So you'll have sufficiency for every good work. Notice again Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we are God's workmanship, his building, and we are actually created, which is kidzo, to make habitable, to completely change or transform. So we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and this is what you're created for. Not to just come to church, not to be a pretty good Christian, but we're created unto good works. Praise the Lord. Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And the saints said. First Timothy 2 9. 
and like manner also that the women should adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So now here we come again to sisters of what they can do. Now Paul does not go through there and say, well, cook somebody a pie, make somebody a pone of cornbread, do this or that. But they should be able to find by their vocation that what God would want them to do. So good works is not limited just to preachers. It's not just limited to the deacons and the other ministers, but God wants every member of his body to be up and about the Father's business, doing something to further advance the kingdom of God, which are the people of God. Now you remember whenever the prophecy came forth in Clifton's Cafeteria in 1961, and Danny Henry had come up and he put his arms around Brother Branham and he started speaking in French. Well, he said he did not know French, of course. A couple of people stood up initially and then a third one stood up and they wrote down what was said. And it was French, so it was turned around and interpreted. One was the interpreter of the UN. And you, you remember the story. And the prophecy that came forth was you have chose the harder path, the harder way. And it was my way. And because of this, a huge portion of heaven awaits thee. A huge portion. Now, now we come into the, the side of rewards. Everyone in heaven will not get the same reward. Not according to the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus said some would lose their reward. Some would have a great reward, but not everybody. What will determine that? Works. Works. What you do for God. What God calls you to do. And your desire to be able to help others. That's why the Bible also tells us in the New Testament that, that we're supposed to do good and treat people good, especially them of the household of faith. Because there's something about being good to God's people. Now, how many, if you were here in the days of the Lord Jesus, you would have loved to bought Jesus a pair of shoes? If you had walked by Jesus on the way to Damascus or Jericho and the Lord Jesus was barefooted, if you had had to put it on a credit card, if you would have had to sold something or another to buy Jesus a pair of shoes, how many of us would have done it? Well, nearly every one of us would have. Well, what if Jesus needed a change of garment? If Jesus needed a meal? If Jesus needed some bread and he was hungry, would we do the same thing? Of course we would. Well, now we have the opportunity to do the same thing for his body. No, I'm not fixing to lift an offer. <laughs> but we should feel the same way that we would be able to do something to a member of his body. Praise the Lord. And you realize the Lord Jesus, the way he looks at it, he would rather you do it for his body than you would for him. Notice this. Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 5, 9 about a widow. Let not a widow be taken into the number 
under three score years old. Now here, this is whenever the church is starting to do a little bit of a spiritual welfare type of a thing to where that the widows that were, did not have social security and things the way we do today. So whenever their husbands would die, uh, many of them did not have any way of provision. Their dowry was already gone. They had no way of making a living. But they even at that had restrictions and requirements that must be met. So a woman could not be taken under the care of the church, the local body, unless, of course, she was at this age, three score years old, which was 60, and having been the wife of one man, which is odd, I find, well reported of for good works. Now notice, if the woman never done good works, she would actually be disqualified from being taken care of by the church. I'm sorry y'all didn't know this is in your Bible. <laughs> now, you see, many, many people feel like that the church ought to take care of them and whatever they need and whenever they need it. We have people all the time. I don't even know how much money I give away whenever we were here building this church because people drop in, I need $10 for gas, I need $20 for this, I need $5 for that, and I need 10 for something else. Brother Donnie, they might have been angels, not with the smell of cigarette smoke on them. Not with the smell of marijuana smoke on them. No, angels don't smoke, uh, uh, they, don't, they just don't do that. But yet, that's the way the people look at it. Well, the church, my goodness, the deacons have to turn people away all the time because people have it in their mind that the church should just do this and do that and the other. But if you read your Bible, you realize that there was requirements and qualifications that must be met. So this woman might have been a good woman. She might have been the wife of one man, but yet nobody could really say much about the sister. She's 60 years old and she hasn't really done a lot for anybody else. And we know that we have people like that in the church that they want and they want and they want and they want from the church. But when it comes for them ever giving back to help others, they don't ever do it. Oh, dear Jesus, I'll be standing on the side of the road tomorrow won't I, with a sign in my hand. Any of your brothers hiring? <laughs> Notice, well reported for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted. Why in the world are we asking things like this? Because this woman is expecting to be serviced by the church. Well, if she's going to be serviced by the church, she's got to have a life of service that proves she's worthy of such service. And the church said, ouch, amen, oh me, or something. All right, thank you. You're still with me. Notice, so she got to lodge strangers, wash the saints' feet, which is a sign of humility, of course. Now, this was not just in church. Remember, foot washing, basically, the only time we do it's in church. But this was a custom among them. So when a stranger would come in, this was their hospitality, even if they lived in a tent and they were more like a Bedouin. They would still bring you in and they would wash your feet and they would give you something cool to drink and they would offer you food. So here, this was a requirement for this type of a person. If she had diligently followed every good work, my goodness, you mean this was required just to help a sister financially. Praise the Lord. Again, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, 
nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who give us us, notice, give us us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Wow, what a strange thing to say to rich folks. Now, if you're rich, then the Bible tells you to be rich in good works. No, it don't count to you. It's got to be out of your house. Oh, shoot. Now, all you say, oh, my goodness, Brother Donnie, I'm not rich. Oh, there's not a person here tonight that's not rich. But I only draw $400 a month. But you're a rich person compared to the people I've seen in India and Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya and Zimbabwe and different parts of the world where I've been. Yes, every person here is a rich person compared to them. But you see, we compare ourselves to people that are richer than we are. And we say, well, I, 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 I can't do that. My goodness, let old so-and-so, let them do it. They drive these big fancy vehicles around here. I'll see them pull in the church parking lot with them vehicles. My fender's tired on with bailing wire. My, my tire's just so thin. You could read the newspaper. Sir. Well, I ain't got nothing. Glory to God. That little widow woman come right up there and was going to cast her two mites into it. And the Lord Jesus did not stop her because the prophet said he knew it had a greater blessing for her. We can give, and also many times we give out of our need, not out of our abundance. You see, the Lord does not just look at always how much a person gives, but he looks at how much they got left. Now, a rich person might be able to give $10,000. And some of you say, Lord, have mercy. I could never do nothing like that. $10,000 to a rich man wouldn't be a bit more than 500 to those of you that are an average type person. So God wouldn't just say, man, what an offering. But God looks and says they got had 12 million left. They ain't give that much. Well, dear Jesus, I'm leaving while the getting's good. Look, friends, what do we want said about us when we stand before him? When the books are open. Oh my. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God. Now here we're talking to preachers may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So it's not just required that the lay people do good works. It's required even more of preachers. Praise the Lord. Notice again, Titus 2.7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, Showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Verse 14, talking about Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now listen, we're talking about bride. Listen to one of the traits that you don't hear spoken of very much around a bride message. A peculiar people. 
zealous, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Let's stand. I ain't done, but I'll give you a breather until next time. To purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, not jealous now, not jealous, only one letter difference, but zealous, which means you have a zeal. So it ain't like you've got to be talked into doing it. You're chomping at the bits. What can I do? What can I do? Is there anything I can do for the church? A lot of us ain't going to ask that because we are scared to death. Somebody will say, uh, oh my. What about Brother Donnie? What, what can some of us young people do? We don't, we don't preach. We're, really? You want me to help you, huh? All right. But remember, from this night forward, you'll be held accountable. How many of you have ever visited those that are homeless? Just walk up to them on the street. Ask them, you know Jesus? There's a better life. What about some of our saints that can't come to church? Any of you ever thought about getting a guitar and a tambourine? Going and seeing them? Singing a few songs to them? To let them know we have not forgotten them? Oh, but we're too busy shooting basketball in the gym. Well, let me just tell you right up front. No rewards given for basketball in the gym. I am at the retirement age. I mean, if you all want to speed it up a little bit, you know. (laughs) Think of it, friends. If the Lord Jesus would call the rapture tonight or call us individually, what do you have to lay before him? But I'm me and mine, and I'm so busy, and I'm, 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 I'm. That's what I'm talking about. That's where so many of God's people live in that world of I and me and mine. May God help us. How many wants to be zealous of good works? If I needed a pair of shoes tonight, and I didn't have the money to buy them. How many of y'all would buy me a pair? All of you. Yeah. So what if there's somebody else in the church that's not the pastor that would need them? If I was $500 short on making a payment of something, electricity, or making some kind of payment, would y'all help me make it? You would, wouldn't you? Well, what about somebody else in our church? You see, when we do it with respect to persons, well, I can only do stuff like that for Brother Donnie and Brother Darrell. I, I just can't. I mean, I, I can't risk that. I can't risk, can't risk what? Helping a little insignificant, nameless individual that the Lord Jesus died for. 
I know you think I'm crazy already, but I try to shower my kindness and my goodness everywhere I go. I've got a reputation all over Johnson City. Wendy's drive throughs McDonald's drive throughs Burger King drive throughs Hardy's drive throughs Don't I, Carol? Me and Carol pulled up to Wendy's the other day, <clears throat> ordered something to drink coming from Home Depot. The woman thought she recognized my voice, black lady. I got up her front. She smiled and said, oh, it's you. Good to see you all. She reached over to Carol and looked at her. Carol said, you're nice to people. You're kind to people. She said, you come at the right time because apparently the person in front of her, and I just thought, I hope it ain't somebody I go to church with. (laughs) They let her have it. And she said, you come right at the right time. (laughs) You'd be surprised what a smile can do. Are we so short of it? Are we so short of kindness and goodness and good words? God help us. How many wants to be a different person than when you come in here tonight? I do. Praise the Lord. I figure that my guardian angels, bless their hearts, they have the office time ever was with me because I beat and thrash, I tear my skin off, I hit myself, I do I'm just finishing up a pretty good-sized project that I had to do. And I told Carol, I said, probably when the guardian angel heard me say I was fixing to do that, they said, oh, dear God, no. I told her the other day, I said, probably when I stand before the Lord, the Lord will give them my reward. I won't even get one. They had such a time watching over me. But I know one thing, when I stand before God, I'm not standing there empty-handed. I want to do what I can, not for reward's sake, because I'm zealous of good works. I'm zealous. Anybody else in here? Zealous. You just want, what can I do, Lord? What can I do? What, 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 What can I do for the body? You know what I do? I walked outside my office door a while ago, before I come out here, walked around on the parking lot and picked up some paper trash paper. I picked up some gravels and throwed them back over in there. I picked up a few sprigs of green grass. I don't like green grass going on them gravel. Nobody's seen me. Nobody knowed it, but I knowed it. I'd rather pick up a piece of paper around the house of God. David said to be able to just be a doormat at the house of God. I'd, I'd rather do that than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh, my. I'll tell you one thing. If we could get a building high full of word of life people that have that attitude, you're talking about changing us. But Brother Donnie, we're wanting revival. Uh Uh-huh. And this is on the way to it. Yeah. I want you to get something that when the emotions died down and the screamings died down, that this is the kind of life you live when you hit the road out here. I don't want something that'll just get you all pumped up and all cranked up when the music is going and then you're as grouchy as all get out whenever you leave. We want something that'll help us to live a godly life on Monday. It'll help us to live it on Thursday. It'll help us to live it on Friday. Every day of the week, we're trying to do something. We're trying to be kind. We're trying to help people. Because that's what Jesus did. Let's bow our heads.
Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray you'd forgive us, Lord. How much of our time have we spent for frivolous things? Lord, if we would, as I said, just start next week, keep a little record of how much time we've spent for us, how much thoughts in our mind we spend for us and about us. We don't think of others. We don't contemplate what we can do for others. We're zealous about ourselves. Some of us will move beyond ourselves and move over into our immediate family. But Lord Jesus, when you came, you loved those that hated you, those that despised you, and even those who crucified you, drove the nails in your hands. You said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord God, I repent tonight, Father. Here in a couple of months, I'll be 67 years old, and I look at my life and I think, Lord, have mercy. What have I done? How much time have I wasted? Just a few more settings of the sun, and I'll I'll be too old to travel much. Before long, they won't want me to preach here no more. I'll get slow and old and won't be able to think of it the way I used to could, and they'll be looking for a younger guy to take this place. Lord God, I pray, help me. Lord Jesus, I don't desire reward. You know the way I've done things for decades. Done all kinds of things around the world and funneled it through other people and churches so they won't even know who it come from. I'm not doing anything for recognition. I do it because I'm zealous of good works. I'm not buying my salvation. I'm not buying favor. Salvation's what you did for me. My works is what I do back for you. Lord, may each of us here tonight leave and ponder and think, Lord, what more could I do? Is there something more I could do for the body? Is there something, Lord, I could do around the church? Is there something I could do to help Brother Donnie? What about the other ministers, Lord? Maybe I could start sending people just cards and tell them that, that I love them and I'm praying for them. Maybe I, I, could, I could just drop a note every now and then to those that are homebound. Lord, maybe a few of us could start going to the nursing homes. We could do something. Just do something, not sit around and wait. Maybe we could do something. Hallelujah. Change us tonight, Lord. Changes. Oh Jesus, please use me. And oh Lord, don't refuse me. For surely there's a work that I can do. Think about it now. And even though it's humble, sewing a coat, mending a sweater, mending a pair of socks to crumble. Though 
the cost be great our work for you I'll stand for thee dear Jesus I'll stand for thee
before we go. Um, they just got her in a room this evening, maybe about six o'clock, something like that. Been in, been in the ER for the last two days waiting to get, get into a room. You'll not believe how many people are lined up and down the hallways of the ER, just people everywhere, people so sick. Just, just breaks your heart. But she has a, a pretty, pretty acute pancreatitis. Also, I mentioned to you that had found some lesions in her brain, and the uh, radiologist came today. Carol was there with her, and uh, they mapped her brain, and they're going to give her some treatments for that. Um, they have a 80% success rate, um, and even if they had two, we're still believing for better. Amen. Aren't we? So while she is in the hospital recuperating rather from the pancreatitis, they might even possibly start uh, the treatment tomorrow. They said she'd probably have to have 10 of those. That'll be Monday through Friday and not on the weekend. So if you would help us pray about that. I know we've asked you so much for prayer, but I know that you want to know, which is why that I tell you. And we're encouraged. We're encouraged in the Lord. Amen. Because our God reigns. Until God tells us any different, we're going to keep right on applying His Word and keep claiming His promise and believing that He is a healer. Amen. Is that right? Yes. Amen. That's exactly right. Oh, yeah, the devil talks to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he talks to you. Let me just tell you what he told me yesterday. He said, if you will let up on me, I will let up on her. Now, can you imagine how that makes you feel? So in other words, he wants to blame me. But I saw his hand on Sunday. He don't have a winning hand. He's a liar. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. And he ain't calling the shots, no way. My Lord's still in charge of all this. Don't you appreciate the Lord? Brother Louis, bless you. I'm just glad Brother Louis is back with us and able to sing. And Enjoy the word of the Lord tonight. How many of you need help? If you don't raise both hands, something wrong with both, every one of you. I need help tonight, don't you? Lord Jesus, use us for your glory. Brother Mike Wall slipped in just a while ago and didn't even know it until somebody told me. Brother Mike, would you come here just one second, buddy? Brother Mike, where's he at? 
we love you, buddy. We sure appreciate you. I want you to offer a word of prayer for us tonight that God will help us to do what our pastor just told us to do. You pray for us. We'll pray for you. God bless you. Love Brother Mike, don't we? Amen. God bless you, brother. When I'll tell you, I woke up at around 7 this morning. First thing on my mind was Sister Erica. And the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart. I always like to know that he's in control. I made sure to try to slip in where I couldn't be seen too easily. I don't like to make a show. But when God speaks, he's going to do something. And I was standing there, Lord, if you want me to say something, you just just make the way. I, I don't want to do anything. And I figured Brother Louis is just going to go ahead and close the service. I didn't even know he noticed me. But the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And I want you to remind you that Sister Erica, the faith that she's had through all that she's been through, that's nothing but God watching over her. And I know y'all know that. But in my heart, the Lord wanted me to tell you We love her. We pray for her every service at our church. And we know that God's a healer. And he's used this trial for some reason. But God, the devil can't win no matter what happens. The devil don't win. We're winners no matter what. But the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart that the whole church, not just my voice, but this whole church tonight should pray. When Brother Donnie started that message about fasting, I knew where he was going with that. In my heart, I know you can't just do this, but what you can do is pray. Whether you fasted or not, it's by faith that we believe this. And I don't believe he would have woke me up this morning with that on my mind if he didn't want us to do it. Don't listen to me. I'm going to back away from this microphone. You say, I want to do something for God. That's a work of prayer. That's a work of love. That's a work of faith. That's something you can do tonight for our precious sister who's went through so much God's able. Yes, sir. Whatever he's going to do for her. So you want to do something? Open your mouth. Yes, sir. If it was my daughter or my granddaughter, how would I feel? You got to step into those shoes. This man, he preaches his heart out. I know that. But he's carrying a load that's heavy. Yes, sir. He needs you to help him carry this burden. And I know you are. But I'm just here to encourage you. This is God's man. And he's using him. He spoke to my heart tonight. I needed that. I needed needed the strength of the word to help me. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus.
this congregation, this people of God are here together, Lord. And I don't hear them saying much, but Lord, they need to open their mouth. They need to cry out, Lord Jesus. The works that we can do, Lord, is put our faith in action. Faith without works is dead tonight, and we stand here to give you glory and to give you honor. Lord, all that Sister Erica has been through, yet her faith has carried her this far. Her desire to serve you, Lord, has held her this much. And tonight, Lord, we place her in your hands. Lord, we have the winning hand tonight that you're standing in the midst of the people of God and how the enemy has fallen every side. And Lord, you know my heart all the day long. I've been wondering, Lord, what would you do? How could you move if people would begin to pray from the depths of their soul to try out and say, Lord, come to our little sister. Lord, do something for her tonight. We know the devil hates Brother Donnie. He hates this message. He hates our prophet. But it doesn't matter, oh God. Those of us who trust you and believe you with all of our heart, we're not surrendering. We're not turning around. We're not backing up. But Lord, we're going to press this battle. We're going to keep going forward, Lord, until we're out of here. Bless this congregation, oh God. Help the children of God to stay fast in the Word of God. If they want to do anything else, stay fast in the Word of God and press this battle together. Lord, help us to cry out to your name, Lord Jesus, and give you honor and praise. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's sing this tonight as we leave. Remember service, Lord willing, on Sunday morning. Appreciate you being here. I know you've been blessed in the service tonight. Let's sing this little chorus together. Our God reigns. Yeah.